You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. Thank you, Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. Thank you, Jesus. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if the righteous could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is a reminder we must crucify ourselves daily, daily, set aside our flesh. I only live to please God. You know, God has opened up so many doors for me this past year. Life is a trip. <laughs> Man, two years ago, if you would have told me I'd be going around telling my testimony, I'd say you're crazy. <laughs> But God is able, amen. God is able. It is only God that I glorify. He gets all the praise. Wherever we go, I am just a vessel willing to be used. You know, I am covered by the blood. I am hidden behind that cross. You know, it is God's anointing that carries us through everything. You know, and I just greet you all in the name of Jesus. My name is Denny Heathen. I don't know, maybe some of you know me here, but, you know, um, I was born here in Prince Albert. I pretty much lived here all my life. And, you know, it's, uh, it's like I said, God is a gracious and merciful God. You know, uh, from where he brought me out, uh, we're going to get into that a little bit here. And you'll see, just watch. <laughs> <laughs> You, you can pretty much take it away. I I saw Denny a couple of months ago at a worship service, and, and his father, who's with us as well, um, Danny Heathen, and it's so wonderful to have you with us as well, and his wife, Becky. And uh, I, we're in worship, and, and thank you. Uh, can you pass my iPad to me, please? And um, we're in worship, and Denny begins to sing, and, and just the presence of God just comes in so strong. And, and he begins to share just a little bit of his testimony, and it just, it, it just wrecked me. It was like, oh, my gosh. Like. And so then a little bit later on when we were doing the gospel show, I'm like, thank you. I'm like... Denny. I'm going to call Denny. And so we got to know each other a little bit better as he sang for the gospel show. But he had, he had driven, I think it was two, yeah, we did practice and then he had to drive way up north. Yeah, Meadow Lake, was it? To minister there. And then he drove back to sing for the gospel show. And uh, he came into the the green room at the Rollinson Center and and I was, how's your night? And he was like, yeah, it was good. It was good. Just, and I'm like, come on, tell me, how did it go? 
and he was like, the power of God. <laughs> and it just, the glory of God just comes out of his life because he's laid down his life. But the story and the testimony of what Jesus has done, and I just, I felt like the Lord said to have him here. And this morning as I was praying, the scripture verse kept rolling around the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. And that as Denny begins to give his testimony today, it prophetically goes out into the atmosphere. And I believe that there's hearts that are going to turn. And maybe you're, you're believing for somebody in your own life. Or maybe it's you of like, things need to break off of my life. Or I, I, I need Jesus or whatever reason it is that you're here. I believe that there's a shift that's taking place or something's happening. And that you're not here by accident. And even if the loved one that you're waiting for isn't here, you're not here by accident. That there's something that's going to be released today. So, Denny, let's tell me, how did it begin? Well, you know, as a child, I, um, where I grew up is a community called Island Lake, and it's northwest of Saskatchewan. And, you know, I was born here. We, I'm a... Prince Albert is always a part of my life and you know where I grew up I never seen my dad or my mama ever touch alcohol or drugs you know but in, in communities where I come from it's a broken it's a broken environment you know there's families that that have trauma in the, in the, inside their houses and inside where they where they dwell and in my my house was a safe house it felt safe it was safe you know my dad's a man of God and you know, sometimes people say, how did you go so far the other way if your dad was a man of God? You know, and you know, God will take us places. God will take us places, you know, just like, just like, um, was that jo uh, Joseph? The, Joseph, you know, he, 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 he ended up going into a cell for years, and yet he became a ruler of Egypt, you know, and God will take you places for a reason. For a reason, you know, so many times I spend nights in jail cells wondering, what am I doing here? Why am I here, God? Why you keep me alive? Why am I alive still so many times I could have been dead and gone? But why am I here? I know why now. Our God is so gracious and merciful. You know, at a young age, I... I got injured with my ankle. The doctor told me I would never be able to walk again or be able to run or play sports for that matter. And I was too, I was, I'm the oldest of four siblings, four of us. And my dad, he was always on the road ministering, always on the road, going everywhere, ministering the gospel. And I was too much for my mom to keep because I was angry. I was in a wheelchair, and I was angry all the time, and I'd give him a hard time. So my dad would take me with him. I went to thousands of services, thousands of them. I heard so many messages, 
And you know, I'd be sitting there angry at God. I would be mad at God. I wouldn't tell my dad this because I'd see, I'd see limbs growing out. I'd see people getting healed. You know, I'd see all these things happening in the ministry. But then why couldn't God heal me? You know, so many times as children of God, we want things now. But God has a purpose for that wait. You know, in the middle of that wait, I sat through messages, thousands of messages. I've seen so many miracles happen. My faith, my faith towards when praying for other people was there. But when it came to me, I was like, why? You know, and then fast forward years down the road, I was walking. You know, I was walking. Not only walking, but I, I became, I, I, I became, I was an athlete. I may not look it now, but I, I used to be, <laughs> I used to be an athlete. <laughs> you know, and I'm beginning, I'm beginning, beginning to get the full gospel. <laughs> and, and you know, and and I was an athlete. And you know, where I grew up, my cousins around in the, the surrounding neighborhood, they, they had abusive parents, abusive, abusive things happening in their lives, which they, they took out on us. You know, they, they, at a young age, I was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was abused. I was beat. I was beat up. Me and my brother, we were the youngest out of all these older cousins. You know, it got so bad where we, we wouldn't even tell my mom and dad because if we, if we told them, they'd do it again. And we didn't want it. You know, there was times where they'd hold, our, hold my head down to a gas can and make me sniff it until I passed out. Until I passed out, I wake up, I remember looking at the sun, just wondering what happened. You know, and I was so angry. Angry. I was so angry in school, everything I did. And, you know, I, the teachers would always ask me, why are you like this? Your dad's a man of God. It's like you're just a little devil, <laughs> you know, and, and I was, so I was angry all the time, and then I became a teenager, I started playing basketball, I love basketball, who else likes basketball, I love basketball, I thank the Lord for basketball, you know, um, I started playing basketball, and I was really good at it, really good at it, I, I and I, I, I tried out for Team Saskatchewan, and I was there was a there was only me and another native guy. Out of nine thousand athletes, wow. we made the team. Wow. And you know, um, my dad told me I always asked him for shoes. I was like, Dad, can you buy me shoes? He's like, I'm not gonna buy you shoes. You might because there was a teaching behind it. You know, if I asked for things and he just gave it to me, then I would abuse that. I, I would just I wouldn't I wouldn't take training seriously. You know, I was always going to these camps with the ugliest shoes, <laughs> the ugliest shoes. And when I made the team, he bought me these Jordans. And I was like, wow, I'm going to fly, <laughs> you know. And I got these shoes, and we, I ended up traveling all over the United States and all over Canada for basketball. And the doctor said I wouldn't be able to play basketball or play any kind of sports. Thank you, but Jesus. God has another plan. Amen. Amen. Thank you know, you, God always has the last say. And after that happened, I was about 16, 17 years old. And this is when alcohol started getting introduced into my life from the same cousins that used to abuse us. They introduced alcohol into our lives and I kind of forgot about basketball. I started forgetting about basketball, what God blessed me with. 
And then one night in our community, there was just, there was an election for, for new chief and council, new leadership. They got in and they usually celebrate. My cousins came to my house and they, they asked me to take the vehicle. So we, we drove off, we snuck away from my mom and dad's place and me and my brother. And you know, this is where my life took a turn for the worse. This is where, this is where I went down a different road. You know, I, 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 had met a, I had met a woman from a place called Onion Lake. And at that young age, I was disobedient. You know, I was a very disobedient kid. And, and there was a lot of things I never told my mom and dad growing up. I kept them, I kept them sheltered. I didn't let them know all these things that happened to me as a child. And in Onion Lake, there was this, this woman, this girl that I, that I had gotten pregnant at a young age. And, I, and you know, I thought I, I was in love. You know, when you're young, you, you think you're in love, you know. And she was, she was about to have my baby. And at the same time, the, the celebration was going on at our community. And everybody was drinking. All the leaders were drinking. They were handing out booze everywhere. They didn't even care if we were underage. And I, I remember drinking that night. And one of my best friends that I played basketball with all of my life, me and him got into an altercation that night. We, we, got, into a, we got into a fist fight. He punched me twice and I hit him once. He fell down and everybody came around me. They're like, yeah, good job, bro. Good job. You know, and... It was cold outside. It was minus 35 around there. It was really cold. Everybody, we went back inside the house, and I seen him getting up, and I, I thought he was going to follow us inside the house. We went inside the house, and we continued our night. Two weeks passed. I was out here in Prince Albert, and my, my late uncle called me. He said, where's so-and-so? I was like, what do you mean? That, that guy got into a fight with that night. Where is he? A lot of people are, are, are talking over here. They're saying a lot, of, a lot of nasty things. Nobody can find him. It's been two weeks. Nobody knows where he is. So we, 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 we rushed back to the place, and, you know, this is where I started, I started hating the law. This is where I started hating police. And when, when we got back, the, the cruisers came pick us up. They took us to a place called Loon Lake, Saskatchewan, me and my brother. And they interrogated us, and my dad, he said, before, before we went out, he said, you guys, stick to your story. So we did, and after that happened, we came back, they let us go, and they said, if we, if we don't find this man, you guys are looking at, you guys are looking at a murder, an attempted murder, because the, the rumors that were going around that place were that I hit him over the head with a shovel, and we, we took him into my truck, and we went to go bury him somewhere. And, you know, all this was happening. All the eyes in that community were on me. Everybody. I was supposed to graduate that year. I was supposed to have a little girl. I was supposed to have a baby. I was supposed to be moving next with my next step in life. And then all this happened. It was heavy. All the eyes were on me. And then I found myself praying to God again. I was like, God, if you can take this away from me, God, if you can prove that I am innocent, I will serve you the rest of my days. How many of us make promises to God that we don't fill? And you know, I, I was sitting there 
with the Lord, and three months went by. They had search parties. Special investigators came by, came came to the to that community, the reserve, and there was everywhere. Three months went by, nothing. All these rumors were getting worse and worse. And at this time, my my the, that girl that I was supposed to be seeing, she she told me I'm not going to be a part of that child's life because of what was going on. She said, "You're just a murderer." Everybody was calling me a murderer, and. My dad said, we're going to put an end to this. He's like, come here. And he called his brothers and sisters. They put me in a living room. They joined me. They put in the middle. They joined hands. He said, this is your last chance to make it right. You got to tell the truth what happened. I told him, that's the truth. That's what happened. He's like, all right. The truth's coming out after this prayer. They said a prayer. They put, they put, they put, they put it at, they stopped it, you know. They, and two days later, they found him. You know, they found him way out on the ice. And he was frozen. One of my best friends I grew up with playing basketball with all the time. His legs were crossed and he was sitting on the ice trying to make a fire. And you know, this, 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 this bugged me for such a long time. Such a long time. To everybody in the community, it was over. They went back to their lives. They started doing everything again. And I told myself, I was like, the cops told me that, that they dropped all the charges. They didn't find no bruising on him whatsoever, just where I hit him in the chin. And, and you know, I was so hard on myself. And I, I told myself in the mirror, you're going to go to school. You're going to finish. You're going to get your diploma. And you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go. You're going to move. You're going to do all these things. I was telling myself that. I went into the school. As I walked into the school, people started talking right away. It's like, you're just a killer. You're a murderer. Why are you here? And I, I walked out. I walked right out. I said I couldn't do it. And I told my dad, I don't care if I don't graduate or not. I'm out of here. And he drove me to Prince Albert that, that day, I believe it was. And Vern Temple, how many know Vern Temple here in Prince Albert? Yep. Man of God. He opened up his door for me. Me and his sons were, we were like brothers. Yeah, two little brown boys and two little white boys causing trouble. <laughs> you know, and we, we, we're, we're like brothers. We're so close. We, we, when he was in pain, I was in pain. You know, we felt it. And we came here. I started living up to what I promised God. I started going to the outreach not far from here. I started attending church. I started, you know, I found a job. I started into carpentry. I was always into building. And I was working, and I believe I was working at Ben's Auto and House class at the time. And a good man, he was a good man, that Ben. And there, I, I, I got accepted into school for carpentry. I went for my level one. And in the two years it went by, I was, I was sober, I was sober, drug and alcohol free. And I was living right with God. Well, and I met a woman, and we had a baby. And at this time, I was still not allowed to be a part of that, my, my first child's life. There was a part of my heart that was just missing. And, you know, and I had all this weight on me still that I didn't give to God. And I was still holding it. And, you know, I was walking with the Lord. But the one thing that I wasn't doing in that time when I was walking with the Lord was reading the Word of God. It's so critical that we read our word daily and we focus on God and we meditate on God in the word and we apply the word of God to our life. We apply it. You know, a person can read it and read it all they want, but not live it. You know, that's when it's ineffective. To make it effective, you got to live it. 
You got to be like Jesus. You got to show love and forgiveness and compassion and mercy. Leave the judging to God. That is not our job. Our job is to be like Christ. You know, when we were in this relationship two years, we had, I remember as a kid with my ankle like this, I was praying, crying out to God, and I was saying, God, if I ever have a son, let him be so healthy and so big and so strong, God, that he will play all the sports that I could have never. Lord Jesus, I put this in your hands. I remember praying like that. Now I ha that boy, his name is Uriah. The light of God, it means. And you know, and his name is Uriah. Right now, he's 12 years old. He's playing in Saskatoon at a tournament, basketball tournament. Right now, he's six foot two, 225 pounds, a 12-year-old. God honored my prayer from way back then. That's how gracious our God is. He never forgets anything. You, we, I forgot that prayer, but the Lord showed it to me while I was praying one day. He's like, do you remember this? He's <laughs> like, wow. Wow. You know, and with my son and, and, and his mom, we were going to church all the time, and you know, and, but we weren't reading the Word of God. And I was in school, and every Friday, this group of men, people in, in carpentry, they're saying, we're going to Lucky's. It's a, it's a TP now. We're going to Lucky's bar. We're going for some drinks. You want to come with us? I say, no. You guys know I don't drink. I don't drink. One day, me and, me and my son's mom got into a fight, a big fight, just arguing, yelling at each other. I went running out the house, and I slammed the door, and I went to go sit on the steps. Right when I sat on the steps, my phone made a sound. I believe it was Hello Moto at the time. <laughs> and it made a sound. I looked at my phone, and it was these guys, those same guys. They said, do you want to Do you want to come out? We're at Lucky's. Do you want to come out for a drink? The devil knows when to attack when you're not fully equipped. Yeah. You know, he knows when to attack. And I said, sure, why not? I drove there right away. I remember looking at that bottle. I remember looking at it. I was like, I know what you all, I know what you come with. I know the pain. I know everything that you come with. But yet I drank it. I took that sip, and right when that alcohol touched my tongue, I felt something leave my body. And after that, my, my childhood memories, everything started coming back. The alcohol, like, induced all of this, all the feeling, all that hurt, that loneliness, that pain, you know, being called a murderer, the hate towards police, all of not seeing my daughter. This is what alcohol led to with me in my life. I became violent. I got kicked out of our house. I, my relationship ended. I ended up going in and out of the correctional facility here uh, by fighting all the time in bars. I was fighting all the time. And in and out of jail, you know, I became really, the, the police knew who I was. <laughs> you know, they, they became to know who, who, who I am. And one day one of my buddies said to me, he's like, he's like why, don't you, why don't you get paid for fighting since you like fighting so much? I was like, what? You can get paid for it? He's like, yeah, bro. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right. What do I do? And he's like, "There's how many remember that, that Tough Enough, that event they used to have here? 
you know, and he said, why don't you join, join up for Tough Enough? And I was like, sure, what do I got to do? And he's like, a physical, blood work, and all these things. And I, I, he's, I said, I, I don't got no money for it. He's like, I'll pay for it. He's like, you're a good fighter, bro. You're a really strong fighter. And you know how to get hit. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and so I, I went, and I went to this tournament. I, I remember standing in the fight pit. It's called the fight pit, and we're about to walk out in the tunnels there. I remember hearing everyone just packed in there, like the crowd just going crazy. And I was just like, wow. Like, wow. And I was standing there just all pumped up. My, my corner men were just slapping me in the face. There's, you ready? You ready? I was like, yeah. And then I was yelling. I was like, yeah. Right when I was yelling, I was like, <laughs> And I vomited because <laughs> I was so nervous. And we just left that pile there, and we went out, and we went, we went out into the ring, and the ring, and I ended up winning all three fights in one night. I ended up winning all those fights. I got two thousand dollars a belt, and and what they said at the time was bragging rights, <laughs> you know. And and then all of a sudden, my name exploded in, in the streets and in the bars here in Prince Albert. And then I met a friend here in Prince Albert. I'm not gonna say his name, but. You know, he was somebody very big up there in the drug world, and he took care of me. I didn't know who he was at the time. He said, you're a good fighter. You have it in your heart. I can see it. We're going to take you everywhere. And he did. And, you know, I kept winning all these fights everywhere. You know, I have some of my fights on YouTube still. And I went everywhere. And then one day it was put to a, everything was put to a, a close because I got into a fight in the bar. And, you know, and they took away my license. And to fight, and I wasn't able to fight anymore. And that's when I, I hit full-time depression. And this is when, this is when I, I went into the drug and gang life. The drug and gang life. They, um, I was sitting in a bar, and a group of guys came walking in. They said, we heard what happened to you, bro. They're like, how you doing? I was like, I'm good. They're like, tell me, how you really doing? I was like, I'm not so good, man. I have no money, no job. Don't really have anywhere to live right now. And they said, well, how would you like to make some money tonight? I said, what do I got to do? They said, come outside. I went outside, and I hopped in the back of this vehicle. There was a shotgun sitting right in the middle in the back. I was like, is that loaded? They're like, yep. And I said, what do you want me to do? They said, you're gonna, we're going to take you to this house. You're going to go kick down that door. You're going to go collect money for us. After you get that money, you come back, and we'll give you money. I needed money. But I knew it wasn't a joke. This wasn't like in the movies. This isn't something you can just put stop and go back to your life. I knew right when I kicked that door down that there was no turning back from it. And that night I was, I was about to say no. I said, no, I'm good. And right, right when I said that, the guy on the passenger side turned, back, turned around with a plate full of cocaine and he said, take some of this, it will help you. And I took it. And I felt like, I felt like everything in the movies, you know? I felt, I felt like, like I didn't care and that all this, this anger came back and I found myself outside that house with a shotgun in my hands and I kicked that door down. I went running in that house. Everybody scattered, everybody got scared right when they seen the gun. You know, I'm telling you this because I want you to know how real God is. It's not because of where, what I did, and I'm not bragging about all of these things. You know, there's hurt out there. People are hurt. 
The reason why we did it is because we're desperate. We need something new. They need something new. And you know, when I went in, I came out, I told them there's nothing. They gave me $2,000 for doing that. And you know, they showed me affection. They showed me love, false love, yeah. false affection. You know, and right when you turn your back on them, they will forget you so fast, so fast. You know, there was times where I got, I have a big scar right on my face here. I was hit with a machete in the face in Saskatoon, a big giant machete. It was coming from my neck, it hit me in the face, my whole face hung down. And you know, there's another time where I was beat down with bats, I have a big scar right here in my hairline. And, and you know, there's other times where I've been stabbed in the back. These are all different, different altercations. I have a scar here where I got sliced. The guy almost took my eye. You know, and so many, and there's one time where my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. When, when, when I met her, like I thought she was just a beautiful girl that liked to party. <laughs> I didn't know that she was, she used to be a child of God. Yet I was trying to ignore my mom and dad because they were the ones preaching to me. And yet God brought a vessel that was hurt and in a dark place also. You know, the, she, was, she was so hurt at the time, I didn't even know. I didn't know she used to be a prayer interceder for six years before, before she fell in her walk with the Lord. And, you know, that itself is a powerful testimony with my wife, what happened in her life. That also is a powerful testimony. And when I met her, you know, it was such a fast life. I was already on top of the drug, the drug life and the gang life. I had my own guys. I was, I was now affiliated with this gang. I had my, my own guys underneath me. Anything I tell them to do, they would do. You know, and they would eat, the people would go to jail, you know. I didn't care about these guys. They were my puppets. You know, people think it's cool. It's a cool life. It's not. These people don't care about you. They'll call you brother. They'll say, I love you. But that's just something they'll tell you to get you where you are. You know, and they will tell you when you go, when, when these guys went to jail, when they came out, all I would say to them is, you got a little bit more respect now. And they'd listen to it. Respect from who? Yeah. For respect from who? Your children don't respect you. Your mom and dad, they, did, they pray for you. You know, there's no real respect there. And as I was living that life, me and my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she, she, we kept breaking, breaking off, in and off. And because of the drug life, because I was always gone, when she was, I was just busy, busy all the time. My, I had like three phones, they were always going off. And... My wife, she said, we got to do something different. And at, around the same time, this is about five years ago, around the same time, my oldest daughter started reaching out to me. Started reaching out to me. And I started getting a click close with her, but she, and then she tried to commit suicide at 12 years old because they asked her, why did she do what she did when they, when they revived her? She said, because my dad doesn't care about me. My dad cares about money and drugs and women. That's all he cares about. At the same time, my, my, my lady, we were trying to work things out. And I, just, I had to sit down and I look at my life and I was like, man, I almost died so many different times. I'm in and out of jail. There's only two ways out of this lifestyle. And you know, there, that's what everybody th believes on the street. There's two ways out of this lifestyle. is dead or in jail. 
But I'm here to tell those people that there is three ways out of that lifestyle. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Dead or in jail yes. or Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I am a living testimony of that. <laughs> no matter what you've done in your past, no matter who you hurt, no matter anything, whatever it is, it will be under the blood. If you mean it with a sincere heart and you don't go back to what things you used to do, and you put, your, you put the cross on your back and you carry it daily. You know, and me and my wife, she said, you need to get out of this gang. You need to leave. If you want me to, if you want to, you want to be a part of my life, you need to leave. So I told these guys, these guys are in a penitentiary, the, the, the higher ups. I talked to them on the phone and I said, I need out. I need, I need, a, I need a change. I need to do something different. You guys had my life for the past 10 years. I made you guys a lot of money. I did a lot of things for you guys. I just asked if you can just allow me to leave. And they're like, why do you want to leave? They asked me. I said, because I need to be a better father. I told them about what I just told you guys about my daughter and my wife. I said, and I can't be a better father if I'm going to be living this life because I'm always looking. And I was a person that would always have to sit. Like, I couldn't, you guys couldn't be behind me. You guys couldn't be behind me. Nobody could be behind me. My back was always to the wall all the time. And in the middle of the night, you can ask my wife, middle of the night when I'm sleeping, I just start twitching and start punching the bed. You know, I was so traumatized by everything that happened to me. All the knives and all the guns and, you know, one, 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 moment, one day I walked into our, into our trap house and there was, there was these two guys with a shotgun to my wife's head. They had it to her head. They were looking for me. And when I, when, I, when I walked in, I grabbed the gun right away. Boom, I got shot right in the leg. And they ran. These guys ran away. And we, 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 I told my wife, are you okay? She's like, yes. And you know, there was so many things that happened in that life where God had his hand upon me. And the reason why God, has had, God had his hand upon me is because of that man right there. Stand up, God. This, dad, this man right here, this is my father, my dad, him and my mother, countless hours praying for their son to come back to the Lord, to have their hand upon their son. You know, everywhere we go, there's elders and everything. They come up to me now with tears in their eyes, and they say, God is so real. Yeah. We prayed for you. Yeah. Your mom and dad asked us to pray for you. Look at you now. You're up there glorifying the Lord. You know, this is how real God is. I tell this testimony because I want every one of you to be sparked up with, a, with hope and faith for your loved one that are bound by alcohol and drugs and violence. Don't give up your prayers. It is your prayers that are, that are keeping them alive. Yeah. It is your prayers that are keeping them alive. And you know what? I, we, I told these guys I need out. They said, okay, they wanted me to do one, one thing before I left. But this meant somebody wouldn't be no longer on this earth. I said, I can't do that. This is the reason why I have to leave. Because I don't want this haunting me. And he said, well, what do you suggest? And, you know, this is going to kind of get a little graphic here. So I said, well, what, I, what you guys used to use me to do, why don't we do that? I'll do it to myself. You know, when somebody in the gang would do something to, to tell on someone else, we called it a rat or to steal money, or steal drugs. I and another person, we would find these people, 
And we chop off their pinky or their, their index finger or their thumb. You know, and this was a lesson to be, to be learned. I did this. I'm not proud of it. I did these things. And I told him, I was like, why don't I do that? So they called, they, we called a meeting. He said, you do that. If you do that, and if you say you're going to stay away from our group, you can never claim to be us. We don't even want you selling drugs in our cities, in our reserves, anywhere. It's just like on, a, I like to use this metaphor, like on the Lion King when Mufasa says to Simba, everything the light touches is yours. Just that dark place there. Don't go there. Yeah. You know? Just don't hang out with these. Like, just stay out of our, our, our section, they would say. And I say, okay. So we called a meeting. There was a big, in, this, in our house, we, in one of the places, and there was a big table laid out right in front. Everybody came in. We're all, we're all shaking hands. Like, hey, bro, bro, brother, brother, sister, sister. And they didn't know what was going on. There was a big machete on a table. And I got one, one of the other guys, and we're standing there. I put my hand on the table. And they're like, we called it here for you guys to witness something. They're like, what? I put my hand on the table. And they, boom, they chopped off my pinky. This is just a small sacrifice compared to what Jesus did on that cross. This is nothing to compare to what Jesus done. And you know, I am proud of this. This is one thing that I am proud of. I left that night, that room. Everybody came up to me and they're like, whoa, like we didn't even tell them what was happening. Like, just imagine if you're sitting there and then we all of a sudden did that. They were just all caught off guard. They're like, ah, you know, and I walked out and they all started shaking my hand and hugging me. They all said, started saying like, bye, we'll see you later. We, you know, we love you. It's been like, you've been, a, you've been good to us, they would say to me. And, you know, and after that, without Jesus in your life, Without the Holy Spirit and the anointing and, 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 and saying God is your Savior, any addiction will overcome you. You can't fight any addiction without it. Yeah. And you know, and I was still so into cocaine and alcohol. And me and my wife, we kept, I was out of that lifestyle, but I was still drinking heavily and still doing cocaine all the time. And what, we broke up again and we came back together. We were at a house party. You know, we're at a house party, and this lady said to us, me and my wife, she's like, I have a lot of respect for you. I heard a lot of things for you. You, you can sleep upstairs in our room. And I said, okay. And as, as that night progressed, me and my wife, we, we started drinking upstairs alone in this big room. And we were saying, man, we need to, like, I'm sick of my life. I was saying that to her. She was saying the same thing, too. She's like, you just chopped off your pinky for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did, and I can't clean my ear. <laughs> you know, and, and we were talking, and she's like, let's go tomorrow morning. Let's go to your mom and dad's house, and let's give our lives to God, she said. Let's, let's do that. Let's do that tomorrow. That's the only way we're going to overcome this addiction, she said. And I said, okay. We were listening to gospel music that night, and we fell asleep. We were drunk and high on cocaine. We fell asleep. That morning I woke up. Remember that night we were saying we we're going to go to mom and dad's house and give our lives to the Lord. That morning I woke up. There was four guys standing over me with masks up over their face. We all had knives in their hands. One of the guys had a knife to my throat. And he was saying, we got you now. We got you now. 
The only thing that I could think in my mind was, Lord, get Becky out of here. That's all I thought. I didn't care about my life because when you live that kind of life, what goes around comes around. That's, what, that's how they believe. You know, when I was thinking, I was like, oh, man. I was like, okay. And I was sitting there. I was laying there. All of a sudden, my body, I twitched. I bridged up. How many wrestlers we have in the house? <laughs> I bridged up onto my neck, and right when I did that, the blade went, went down here, down to my, 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 my chest and my arm. And then right when that happened, everybody attacked me all at the same time. That morning, I was stabbed seven times. Seven times. The blade went all the way in and out. All the way in and out. All they said was, he's a dead man. Let's go. He's a dead man. Let's go. Let's go get his woman. And here again, I knew mom and dad were praying for us. Because when they said, let's go get his woman, she was, when she went running out of there, because I told her to leave, I was like, get out of here. She left, and these men went to go chasing after her. She told me later on that these people were gaining on her. They were coming close to her, running after her. She hit a corner. When she hit that corner, there was a policeman sitting right there. A cop sitting right there. And she, she, that cop ended up arresting two of those guys. And at the meantime, I, myself, I got up and I was just, I was just blood everywhere, everywhere. How many um, Grey's Anatomy fans we have here? <laughs> you know, um, I, was, I, was, I was going down these stairs. I was running after her. And then I started to feel myself. I started feeling woozy. And I was like, oh, man, I'm losing so much blood somewhere. I grabbed a towel and I started wiping myself and everywhere, trying to see where I was hit the worst. And I seen my leg and I wiped my leg. And every time my heart would beat, blood would come squirting out. Blood would come squirting out. And I was like, man. And then I remember Dr. Hunt. <laughs> I put two of my fingers deep into my lacer, into my cut, all the way until I felt like a wire. And I held it tight. And I kid you not, uh, this is why I mean, like, prayer is so powerful. I went out. I was standing out at that door. I went to the door with my finger in my hand, and my hand was up like this on the door, the, the exterior door. And right when I did that, an ambulance drove right by. An ambulance. This ambulance was on its way to where that police officer was. They were going to respond to, a, to a, um, an, an anxiety attack. That's what they told me. They said, we were on our way to an anxiety attack, but we looked this way, and there's a big bloody Indian standing there. <laughs> and there's like, this guy looks like he really needs our help, he said. And they stopped. They stopped, and they came to me, and... After they came to me, they threw me in. They, they took me to the hospital. They said, wow, how are you still talking to us? How would you know what to do? I was like, what I told you guys. <laughs> Dr. Hunt. <laughs> Thank God for Dr. Hunt. And later on, I went, I, my, we ended up staying at my mom and dad's house. I went to go heal up there. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. My wife had to help me. And yet again, we found ourselves not even, what, three days later or something like that. We were drinking again. Back, back to the poison. And in the middle of my dream, I fell asleep. In the middle of my dream, I was laying there. And a person come up to me and with a white garment and kicked me. Boom. Like, boom. I was like, what? What? They came down to me and said, what do you think you're doing? What's wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? 
So who do you think moved you the way you did when those people were stabbing you? Because when they stabbed me, they were going for my, my chest and my gut area. But I moved in such a way that morning, I was rolling with everything, my arms and my legs, that every time I got stabbed, it hit me in the arm, biceps, or in the, in the legs. It didn't hit any vital organs or nothing. And he said, who do you think helped move you like that? They're like, who do you think did it? And I woke up. And I started weeping right away before the Lord. I knew it was God. I knew it was God that helped me through that morning. And you know, when not long after, we got invited to a gospel camp meeting. That night, we got to that, that gospel camp meeting. I, I didn't even want to go. My wife was the one who wanted me to go with her. I just wanted to go with her to make her happy because we were, we were arguing and I was trying to be on her good side. <laughs> And, you know, and I said, like, okay, I'll come. And I remember packing my bag. I was throwing my cigarettes in there. I was, I was going to take some Coke with me. And she's like, what are you doing? She's like, we don't need those. And she threw them away. I was like, what are you doing? I didn't know that a week, or a couple of days before that, she got delivered from drugs and alcohol through a dream. Because I was wondering why she wasn't asking for a cigarette or wasn't wanting any cocaine or anything to drink. That night when we went, the, the first night there was nothing. My heart was stony when I went to the church. I didn't even listen to anything. But the second night, the second night when I got there, the man of God was preaching about forgiveness. And remember, I was holding everything, everything that ever happened to me in my life. I was holding everything inside of me. Everything that this man said, just I just felt it just hitting at my heart. Boom, 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 boom. And my heart rate was just beating. I was like, man, why am I feeling like this? And I started feeling tingly all over. My hair was standing up. And he's like, we're going to call an altar call. He's like, this message was for one person in here. There was a lot of people in that tent. One person, person in here, I can call you out, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do what he does. So they called an altar call, and I was holding my one-year-old son in my hand. You know, sometimes the body has its mind of its own. I was holding my son, and my body was sick of the life I was living. I put my body through so much. My body was ready to tap out. It was done. This is why I know what had happened to me that day. That is how I know my body was done. I was holding my son. The music started to play. People started going up. And all of a sudden, my legs were not my own. My legs started walking. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I was like, no. I was thinking, and I was like, no. And I just kept going. I felt, I, I felt this like right in here just pulling me, yeah. pulling me to the front. Every step that I took, I started shaking a little more. And my one-year-old son must have been just, just <laughs> bouncing everywhere. Every step that I took, I started shaking more and more and more until I found myself at the front. The man of God stopped praying for who he was praying for, and he came up to me. And he whispered in my ear, you're the person this message was for. He said, I could lay hands on you right now. I can pray for you, but I'll just be getting on God's way. This is a divine appointment between you and God. I'm going to leave you now. You just stay here, you and God. I was like, I was thinking, I was like, what? 
I was up there for 45 minutes. It felt like five minutes. I just felt like it was just me and God. I felt a direct portal. I felt so unworthy to be standing there. I was like, all the things I'd done, the devil was just putting all these memories in my head. God will never forgive you. God will never forgive you. All these things you've done, all the hurt, all these families you broke up, everything. As I was standing there and shaking and just, just shaking, my hands were not up yet, but I was shaking. And as I was shaking, I felt a touch on my shoulder. I opened my eyes, nobody there. Right when I opened my eyes, boom, that touch slammed me to the ground. And my knees hit the ground, right when my knees hit the ground, sweat from the top of my head throughout my whole body just started coming out of me. Sweat, sweat, sweat. It looked like I just hopped out of a pool. My, my shirt was just drenched to my, my, my skin. I shot up from my knees and I said, okay. I said, okay, God. I'm tired of running. I'm sorry. The moment I said these next words, I felt a release upon my body. I said, forgive me. Forgive me, God. Wash me and cleanse me, God. Take me back. I am yours. As I said these words, I felt a release. My hands shot up. I felt light. I got up. Nobody was up there with me. It was just me. I think they're all waiting for me so they can eat. <laughs> and I ended up walking away. Me and my wife went out, and I looked at my wife, and I told my wife, I was like, did we just get saved? Did we just get born again? She's like, yes, baby. And I was like, wow. And, you know, I know this is going to sound cliche, but that when I went out, the air was crisp. The stars were brighter. Yeah, true. I can smell the horses in the field. Yeah. You know, I, my, my senses were just shot right up. I felt pure. I felt, I felt like I was forgiven. I knew I was forgiven. You know, I knew who I was now, and I, we both knew we were saved. And, you know, and then right away the devil put in my head, you still got to go back to PA. You still got to go back to PA. On our way back from Regina, my wife asked me, she's like, do we have to move? Should, should we move? Because we know too many people here. Like, too many people know us. And when I got back to Prince Albert, I flushed the cocaine down the drain. I never, I, and since that day, this is over two years ago now, I have never snorted another line of cocaine. I have never touched another bottle of alcohol. I have never smoked on another cigarette. I have never fought anyone with my fists again. These fists that used to hurt people now lay hands on the sick and now worship the God of all gods, the creator of heaven and earth. This is how great our God is. Our God is so merciful and so just. You know, he holds the world in his hands. It says his world is his footstool. We are. We are the light of the world. And we must, we must, we must show it. We must show the light. Show love everywhere we go. Show God. 
show his mercy. Leave the judging to God. Don't, for, don't, don't ever give up on your prayers. No. Ever. You know, there's so much more I can share about our walk in the Lord these past two years. Like I said, it was a trip. <laughs> Man, you know, God will use you if you are willing to be used by God. We limit what God can do because of our agenda. Like the song said, I'm sorry when I just come with my agenda. I'm going to worship God for 10 minutes and I'm going back to what I was doing. Come on now. Yet you cry out to God when you need something in your life, but you can't even give him your time of your day just to thank him. Just to thank him. Just to thank him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I I'm so thankful. God is real. He's real. And sometimes we go about life, he said, with our own agenda, not not recognizing the magnitude and the power of who he is and what he's done and what he continues to do. I know in my own life, I wouldn't be here either if it wasn't for prayer, for people that were praying for me and interceding for me. So parents keep praying. But I also don't want to leave this moment without calling you back to Christ. That in your heart, you know if you've been running. In your heart, you know the places that you've turned away. Or maybe you don't know Jesus at all and this is completely new to you. This is, this is your moment. This is your moment. You know, we, I was thinking about this, thinking about Easter, and I was going to read the Easter story today, but we'd been here for a very long time. I'm thinking about how each of us who have had those moments where we've come to Christ, all of them are these beautiful stories of when Jesus stepped in and we all get grafted into this big story of what Jesus did. And oftentimes we think it's our story, but actually it's his story. And I'm in his story and you're in his story because it's all about the resurrection of Jesus. It's all about the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's all from, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I said yes and stepped into his story. 
And I know that it's, I know the hour and I know it's getting late and some of us have turkeys and all the things, but can we put our agenda aside just because this matters? This matters. That if you have walked away from him, that you come join me up at the front. Or that if you don't know him, and you're recognizing that he's telling a story, and you may not identify completely with his story, but you identify with the feeling of being lost. There's always this place inside us when we don't have Jesus that we look to fill. There's this longing on the inside of us that when we don't know Jesus, we're looking to fill it with whatever we can fill it. I'm just looking to be happy. I just, I just need something to fill this. And there are times where we reach for things and it fills it for the moment, but then it doesn't satisfy because nothing will ever satisfy that void because it was meant to be filled with Jesus. It was meant to be filled with Jesus. And I just hear the Lord say to somebody today, come home, come home. No more running, come home, come home. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.